Good morning, friends. You know, this past Tuesday and Wednesday, I was editing today's message while sitting in uh, my home office, also known as the Husker Man Cave, and I was watching it snow. We got about eight inches of snow, which is really a lot for here in the Ozarks, particularly with all of the hills and the windy roads. But, you know, looking out the snow and the trees and on the lawn and sipping my coffee, it was really quite a beautiful sight. And yet at the same time, I was making notes on today's passage of Scripture. By the way, that's Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And this is where Paul is talking about the dark world and spiritual forces of evil. But from where I sat, life seemed pretty good. It was, well, it wasn't perfect, but it was beautiful. It was peaceful. And in a moment, it was difficult to imagine that we are in reality living in a war zone. And that's the title I'm going to use for today's message. But let's face the facts, friends. We are living in a war zone. And although today life may resemble a, you know, a Norman Rockwell painting, the things that cannot be put on campus, uh, canvas, my thoughts, my struggles and fears and doubts and dreams and goals, they're, they're always in the middle of a fierce battle. And from the time I wake up in the morning until my head hits the pillow at night, I am engaged in a hard-fought and not easily won battle. And yes, it's the same for you. You live in a war zone. I mean, every moment of the day, there are things happening around you that you cannot be that cannot be seen with the natural eye, but they are nonetheless all too real. Now, I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins, goblins, but I am talking about what Paul refers to in Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Paul says that there's an unseen world that exists around us. And this is not the first time in Ephesians that he mentioned it. In fact, in chapter 1, he talked about every ruler and authority and power and dominion. And his point is that Jesus is superior to everyone that exists. He is the name above all names, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I mean, Jesus is all in all. So, yes, we are engaged in spiritual battle. And without God's help, we're going to lose. See, he only has the power over every ruler, every authority, and every dominion, but we do not. So listen again to these words. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, friends, it's only through God's power that you can expect to win the spiritual battles of life. If you enter the battlefield alone, there's no telling what will happen. But if you enter in his power, you're guaranteed to win. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God and have overcome them, that meaning false spirits, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, some of you listening may wonder, what exactly is a spiritual battle? Well, let me give you some examples. Every time you're presented with the opportunity to entertain a lustful thought, you've entered a spiritual battlefield. Every time you have the chance to do something vindictive, you're on the battlefield. Every time you have the opportunity to condemn rather than the gospel, you're on the battlefield. Every time you have the chance to say something hurtful, you're in the midst of a battle. Every time you kind of toy with the notion that you're just a little bit better than most of the people you know, well, you're kind of surrounded by enemy fire. And every time you encounter a person in need, 
and you don't think you want to help them, you're engaged in combat. See, life is a spiritual battlefield. There's a force at work in this world that does not want you to succeed. There's a force at work in the world that doesn't want you to live for Jesus. There's a force in this world that does not want you to minister to other people in his name. There's a force at work in this world that doesn't want you to reflect God's love and mercy. And that force will do whatever it takes to make sure you don't do it. Now, some of you might be thinking, I didn't sign up for this. Well, maybe not. But when the doctor spanked your bottom, you were drafted. Now, let me make this perfectly clear. Our enemy might be strong, but our Savior is stronger. The devil has been defeated. He has no power in your life, so you don't have to moan and groan about how oppressive the devil is. All you need to do, and some of you who are familiar with this section of Scripture I mentioned earlier, know this is all about putting on the full armor of God. Now, Paul was, of course, describing a Roman soldier. At the time he was writing this letter, he was in a prison, probably chained to at least one Roman soldier. So when he began to think of spiritual warfare, he looked at the man sitting next to him and noticed that in the same way this man's armor protected him in battle, God provided strength to protect us in our own battle. Now, each item parallels a behavior, something we are to do in order to experience the fullness of God's strength. The emphasis is not on the item of armor and all it symbolizes. The emphasis is on the behavior Paul is challenging us to emulate. So let's take a look. Let's start with the belt of truth. Now, for a long time, I kind of interpreted this to mean the truth, as in the truth of God. But Paul doesn't say the or the truth. He doesn't use the definite article in the Greek. He says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around you. Now, this can be rightly interpreted as truthfulness or sincerity of heart. Paul's talking about our behavior, truthful living, truthful thinking, truthful speaking. Uh, He's talking about honesty. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, I was consulting with a church that had been having some internal problems. One of the leaders came to me to discuss a problem, and then he said to me, you know, pastor will talk to you about this later, and when he does, pretend like you're hearing it for the first time. Now, basically, he was asking me to deceive someone. Now, this may seem like a little white lie, but I began to feel a little bit of pressure. I kind of wondered, what if I don't fool him? What if he knows that I know? I mean, what if this guy who came in to see me set this whole thing up just to see how deceitful I am? Now, that that seems a little far-fetched, but here's my point. If I had agreed to so pretend, I would have had to practice deceit. And friends, this is never a good idea. So when the pastor came to me later, I said, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with all of this, but I don't have your side of the story. Now, I didn't break a confidence, but neither did I practice deceit. And by not practicing deceit, I wasn't choosing sides. It it made it easier to approach the matter with wisdom. When Paul says to have the belt of truth buckled around our waist, he's calling us to live truthful lives according to God's truth. A commitment to living truthfully both protects us and gives us freedom. Let's move on to the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was kind of like a bulletproof vest. It protected the most vital organs. And that breastplate is made of righteousness. Now, Paul is referring again to our behavior. That's why he emphasizes that we are to put on the full armor. 
He's talking to those who are already believers, so he's not talking about the righteousness we receive at our time of salvation. He's talking to believers about their personal holiness, about their doing good works as a reflection of what God has already done. Now, I know some people don't like the term good works, so I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm talking about being holy. Good works, right living, paves the way for God's strength in your life. And then it says, feet fitted with readiness. Now, I don't know if any of you remember at the end of the Beverly Hillbillies, if you ever watched that show, I used to watch that somewhat religiously. And they used to sing a song about having us back next week to have a heap and helping of our hospitality. And then they would say, sit down a spell, take off your shoes. Well, the idea is to make yourself at home, to take it easy, and to do nothing for a while. Now, Paul is actually saying the opposite. He's saying, put your shoes on, get busy. He's talking about our behavior. Be ready to go, be ready to move, be ready to work, be ready to serve. Put your shoes on. And then there's the shield of faith. Roman soldiers had two different kinds of shields. They had a small one for hand-to-hand combat and a large one, which was about four and a half foot high and two foot wide, for use when the army was advancing. And with those, each soldier would stand side by side holding up his shield, and the enemy would be faced with kind of a solid wall of shields, row after row after row. This kind of made the army impenetrable, and that's what faith does. It makes you impenetrable, especially when you're marching side by side with fellow soldiers. Now, once again, friends, Paul here is talking behavior. He's not referring to a creed you intellectually acknowledge. He's talking about faithfulness, faith in action. And he also references fiery darts. Now, the Roman shields were covered with leather and were soaked before battle so that the shield would absorb and snuff out the flaming arrows that were shot at them. Your faith gives you the same protection when you advance side by side with your fellow soldiers. Your faith protects from anything the enemy throws. Maybe some of you right now, you want to start singing onward, Christian soldiers. That would be a good thing for you to do. Now, there's also the helmet of salvation. Paul's talking about the way we think. And just like a helmet protects your head, salvation does too when you meditate on it. Now, remember that Paul is talking to people who are already believers. He's not asking them to be saved. He's saying, use your salvation to protect your head. Now, do you know why I have a hard time giving in to despair? It's because God's salvation protects my head. When I think about what he's done and all he promised me, I I can't live that way, even during darkest days. I mean, that's also why I'm not very good at worrying. When I think about God's salvation, it's difficult to see things as beyond his control. If he's in control, why worry? Now, see, no matter how bad things may seem today, I know and because of his salvation, that these things are only temporary. He promises, ultimately, a bright and beautiful future for all believers. So let's let God's salvation protect our head to think about it. And then there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Paul says. Now, Paul isn't referring to the Bible, since the New Testament hasn't been yet completely written and compiled. And he doesn't use the word logos either. He uses the word rima, which is really a saying. It refers not to a general word, but to a specific word. For example, the Bible could be called a logos. 
But John 3.16 is a rima, a specific word. The sword of the Spirit is that specific word, that rima, that's R-H-E-M-A, that God gives you by supernatural revelation. Now, most often for me, it's a verse of scripture that applies to my specific situation. Now, here's, here's one from a few months ago. I was having a discussion with a few people down at Hollister Coffee Company. Now, we weren't arguing. Uh, we were just disagreeing. Now, one person began to say something that I totally disagreed with, and I started to open my mouth. But right before I cut him off, the Lord kind of spoke to me. And the verse that kind of popped into my head came from Proverbs 18:30: He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. So, like the lions in Daniel's den, I closed my mouth and let him finish talking. Now, later we were able to come to some agreement. I mean, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, pierced that conversation and enabled us to find a solution. Now, your weapon for spiritual warfare is the same sword, the Word of God spoken to you for your particular situation. Now, do you know what that means? It means you have to spend a lot of time in the Word, the Bible, so that God can speak specific words into your life. Now, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. You don't have to remember the breastplate and the belt and all the others, but you do need to remember this. We're in a spiritual battle, a battle that we can only win through the strength of God. In order to experience the strength of God, we need to do certain things. We need to live truthfully, to do good works, to be ready to go where God sends, to be faithful, which really means to be full of faith, to think about salvation and to listen to God's word. Now, that's the full armor of God. It enables you to stand against the devil's schemes, but there's one more weapon, your greatest weapon. It's verse 18. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, Paul's strategy for prayer is quite simple. In every event throughout the day, pray with all kinds of prayers. This is your greatest weapon in spiritual warfare, because when you pray, you're submitted to God. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Friends, life is a war zone, and every day we're on the battlefield. And the only way we can win this battle is through God's strength. But to receive God's strength, you need to put on the belt of truth, to live truthfully. To put on the breastplate of righteousness, to do those good works. To put your shoes on to be ready to go where God sends you. To take up the shield of faith and be ready to live by faith. To take the helmet of salvation and fill your mind with thoughts about all God's salvation means to you. To get into the word and listen to God's voice so that he can speak specific words into your life. And most of all, on all occasions, all kinds of prayers for everyone. Do this, Paul says, and you will stand your ground. And when the battle is over you will remain standing for the glory of God. Now, that's today's message. But I want to tell you that beginning next week, I am leading a team to start a brand new mission church. It's called Restore. And uh, my first six messages are marching orders. And the very first week, we're going to start by praying a dangerous prayer, which simply says, Lord, do things we're not used to doing. And in those six weeks, we're going to talk about that dangerous prayer, giving someone a cup of cold water, not peace but a sword, 
how God's eye is on the sparrow about hard times and never being ashamed. And I would hope that in those next six weeks, starting February the 13th, as Restore opens its doors for the first time, that perhaps you'll take time to listen to these messages and see if God is not urging you to do things you're not used to doing. Well, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.